Hey everybody, uh, it's time for another opportunity for us to go to God's Word and study it together. Um, and uh, it's a pretty cool day today. Uh, we have an opportunity to finish up the book of James. Uh, we've been in James, I think I looked today, I think we started mid-February. Um, and we are now finding ourselves at the end of the book. Uh, many of you have followed through with us through the different sermons that we've had. Uh, Justin last week finished us up on chapter 5. So maybe some of you thought we were already done, but we do have one more sermon today uh, that we're going to look at the book of James as a whole. We're going to take an opportunity to do a conclusion to all of our messages and bring it all together. And so that's what I'll be doing today. Uh, before we get into what we're going to talk about today, why don't we open with a word of prayer. Lord, I want to thank you and praise you uh, for the opportunity we've had to go through the book of James, especially during this season that we find ourselves in, a, a season of trial and anxiety and not knowing what the future holds. And God, it's been such a, a good reminder as we've gone through the book of James how we can endure trials that you have put before us. And so today as we look through this book, as we talk about all the things we've mentioned throughout this series, Lord, help us to be guided by your Spirit. Help us to understand what you would have for us to understand. And that God, as we come out of this book, that it would have changed the way that we view you change the way we view ourselves, and change the way that we live in this world. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, one thing that I've been doing with my family, specifically uh, Felicia and I, but the kids have helped as much as they can, one thing we've been doing throughout this whole quarantine time uh, is we've been putting puzzles together. Uh, I think we're up to our sixth puzzle right now, um, usually 750 pieces to 1,000 pieces. Some are really easy, some are real hard. We're in the midst of one now that is really hard. Uh, but as we've been doing this, it's been a great uh, activity that we're able to do as a family. It passes time. Uh, it's good for your mind and all of those things. But as I started thinking about James, I started thinking about this message, I started thinking about puzzles. Uh, and you might think that's strange. My mind is strange sometimes. Uh, but we think about puzzles. And uh, what I notice when I'm doing a puzzle, when I'm down on the floor, which is where we're doing it, we have a flat surface, and I'm down there and I'm putting one piece in at a time. And as I'm putting pieces in in one section of the puzzle, things don't really look like anything. Uh, you know, it's, I can see that there's progress being made. I, I can see that the puzzle is coming together. Uh, but when I'm close up and I'm looking at just the individual pieces, uh, it's very easy for me to forget what the whole puzzle is supposed to look like. And part of the problem with all of this is uh, my wife has a rule when we do puzzles, and although I break the rule once in a while, she doesn't, uh, but she doesn't look at the picture while we're making the puzzle. So it's like we just, you got to figure it out piece by piece by comparing the pieces together. Uh, but when a puzzle is completed, after you've been looking at those small pieces at close range, and you take a step back, and you look at the puzzle and, and how it's been completed at this point, you see the beautiful picture that you've been putting together. And even though at the time when you're down and putting the pieces in, you don't see the whole picture and you may forget what the picture looks like, when you step back, you see the whole thing and how it all came together. And I kind of think about that as I think about the book of James. For several months now, we've been looking at the pieces of the book of James. We've been an up-close, up personal, in-depth look at the different pieces that are throughout this book. But today I want to take some time for us to step back. I want us to take some time to look over and look at the beautiful picture that's been put together. You see, if we just concentrate on the pieces, we forget about the whole thing. And I don't want us just to concentrate on the little pieces of this book. And we also do that with the Bible. Sometimes we'll take pieces of the Bible and we concentrate on them so much that we lose the context. We lose the overall picture of what we're being told in Scripture. Uh, and today I want to take that opportunity then, as I've already said, to look at the pieces, put them together, look at the whole puzzle, put all the pieces together and look at how everything comes together as we do an overview of the book of James. So I would propose to you um, that as we look at the book of James, every single piece that we've already looked at, uh, that we have seen that James is a book that is written to Christians who are facing trials. Actually, this is told to us right here in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Uh, after James introduced himself, he says that these are to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Uh, they've been uh, dispersed. And then he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
So James is written, the book of James is written to Christians who are facing trials. Pretty appropriate for the times we find ourselves in now. And so really what happens as we look at the whole of James is we see James becomes a practical guide for how to go through trials. Uh, as I thought about that, I thought of a, a book that I read when I was uh, uh, becoming a dad for the first time. And uh, it was um, Fatherhood for Dummies or something like that. And maybe you know uh, the Four Dummies book series. You know, you can find anything. Computers for Dummies. Um, you can find, uh, you, you find any subject and it's, they write about how you can do it well. And it's for people who don't really get it. In a sense, James is our uh, trials for dummies manual. That's kind of what we're looking at. Like, how do we face trials? And that's what James really starts talking about throughout this time. And we think about it, and then we look at the purpose of James then. So uh, in verses 2 through 8, I believe we see the whole purpose of the book. Uh, So I'm going to read these verses. We're not going to read the whole book today, but I want to read these verses in chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So those are the first eight verses. And I also want to read verse 12, because I think verse 12 plays into this as well. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So as we look through these verses, as we look at the first chapter where James introduces what he's about to talk about, I believe he breaks it down into how do you endure trials faithfully? How do I endure trials faithfully? How do you endure them? He talks about steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. How do we endure uh, through trials? And I would say even in these passage, this passage that I just read, we see the three things that he talks about is that we need to think joyfully in our trials. To think joyfully. Now, when Pastor Justin uh, spoke on uh, chapter 1, the very first sermon we had, he mentioned this idea that joy is not about a feeling here. Thinking joyfully is having what he called a settled contentment. I love that definition of joy. A settled contentment. And so the first thing that James says, if you want to endure trials, if you want to be steadfast during trials, and you really want to get through them in a wise and godly way, then you will do it by thinking joyfully, by having settled contentment no matter what life brings. And the second thing in this passage that we read was about wisdom. And I think the second thing James says is if you want to endure trials well, you need to seek wisdom. Seek wisdom from God, not wisdom from the world, but wisdom that God gives. And he says that right here, that if we lack wisdom, which we do, we need to ask him for that wisdom. And then finally, I think the third thing is the overarching idea that James is saying, this is how you endure trials. You think joyfully, you seek wisdom, and you live sincerely. Uh, This passage that talks about uh, someone who needs to ask in faith with no doubting, then goes on and calls the person who will uh, ask for wisdom but yet doubt God. He calls this person a double-minded man. And if you remember when we've talked about this, this is the idea of being two-souled. It's this idea of hypocrisy in its extreme sense, uh, of, being, of saying one thing and doing another, or, or just being two-faced. And as we think about that, we need to live sincerely. Through our trials, if we want to endure our trials, we're going to have a settled contentment. We're going to have joy. Uh, we're going to seek wisdom from God, and we're going to live sincerely. Not a two-souled or two-faced way of living, but to live sincerely. And so then the rest of the book, I believe, all centers around this theme of how to endure trials, how to remain steadfast under trials, how to think joyfully, how to seek wisdom, and how to live sincerely. Because from this point on, we see that uh, James talks about commands. If you remember back to when we started, the very introduction where Justin talked to us about the idea that this book is full of commands. I think, I think it was something like 49 commands throughout the whole book. And we talked about the fact that James is very clear that there are things that we should do and things that we should not do. And those commands that he talks about 
all go back to how we can endure trials faithfully. And so in, in just a few minutes, and I'm going to take some time before we get there to talk about something else, but in just a few minutes, we're going to look at a list of things that James says to do and not to do. Uh, maybe you're familiar with another book series. I mentioned the Dummies series, but here's another series, uh, and maybe you've seen it or maybe you've used it, but it's the cookbook series that is the Eat This, Not That series. Uh, it's basically a line of cookbooks that say, uh, if you want to be healthy, you need to eat this and not that. And so they show you how you can substitute different things. And instead of eating a real burger, you can eat a veggie burger. I'm not, I don't read the books. I don't follow them. But uh, as I learn about what these books are about, it's very clear. It's like, okay, if you eat this and not that, then you'll be healthy. In a sense, what we're going to look at in just a few minutes, we're going to look at James is giving us a do this and not that list. If you want to be healthy in your spiritual life, if you want spiritual health, then you will do some things and you will not do others. And so this book does get very heavy on commandments. It gets very heavy on commands and telling us what to do and what we shouldn't do. And all of those things, though, I think still come back to pointing back to how do we endure trials? How do we find joy? How do we seek wisdom and how do we live sincerely? All these different commands are going to all be funneled underneath that. And so we'll look at that in just a few moments. But before we get there, before we get to that list of do's and don'ts, before we get to the do this, not that list, there's a little thing I need to talk about, and it's kind of an interruption in what we're talking about today. As we look at the book of James, we can't lose some key elements uh, that we need to understand coming into this list of commands. And if you remember, very first time we got together to talk about James, the question was brought up about whether we really can endure trials and follow the commands of James. Can we really do it? Is it possible? Can we really endure trials in a faithful, godly way? Can we really think joyfully in trials? Can we really seek real wisdom during trials? And can we really live sincerely during trials? So we've asked this question, and I think we need to answer this question. Can it even be done? And when we f first started together, the answer was given uh, as we looked at this that no, we really can't. And I'm going to say that that is uh, true, but not complete. Here's what I want to say to the answer of can we follow the commands of the book of James? Can we endure trials faithfully? The answer is simply no and yes. I think we answer the question with both a no and a yes, but I need to explain what I mean by that. Because what we looked at, we looked at the very first time we came to James, it is very true that as sinful and broken people, we cannot endure trials the way that James says we should. We cannot, as a sinful, selfish, broken person, I cannot obey the commands that James talks about. I cannot follow these things. I cannot be joyful or seek wisdom or live sincerely. I don't have the strength within me. Uh, not only did, are we taught this by our experience, all of us have handled trials, gone into different trials and tests, and, and many of us have failed. Many of us have walked out thinking, I can't do this. I can't endure the way that James would want me to endure. I can't do it. And, and I think that there's a reason for that because in and of ourselves we can't. And the Bible is clear. If you know Romans chapter 3, verse 12, it tells us that there is none that does good. There's none that does good. We, there is no one that can in and of themselves have the power to do good or to obey God's commands. And also in John 15, 5, we're reminded that we can do nothing. And so it is clear in Scripture, and it's clear by our experience, that as sinful, broken people, we can't endure trials the way we're meant to. We can't really follow these commands. But that leaves us with a question. It leaves us with some tension. And what is that question? Well, all right, if this is true, if we really can't do this, then why even bother? If we can't follow the commands that James tells us, if we can't really endure trials, then why even bother? Uh, why not just give up on living faithfully during trials and just do what we want because whatever will make us feel better at the time? If we can't really follow the commands... Why did James, or any other writer in Scripture for that matter, give us commands to follow? 
Why would they have written these? Why would James have written this if we really can't do it? Just to make us feel more depressed that we can't do it? I would say, no, that's not the reason. I believe that there are commands throughout Scripture for a very specific reason, and that is that there is a way that we can obey these commands. In and of ourselves, we can't. Now, many of you already caught this, and you're maybe even mad at me right now, uh, but in John 15, uh, verse 5, the one I mentioned, where it says, we can do nothing, I left out the beginning of that verse, because that verse actually says this. It says, apart from me, and this is Jesus speaking, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is in the classic passage of the vine and the vine dresser, that, uh, that we need to abide in Jesus. We need to abide in the vine to find fruit, to have fruit. And in that time where Jesus is saying, you need to abide in me, uh, you need to find fruit as you abide in me, then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's not that we can't do anything, it's that we can't do anything apart from Jesus. We can't do anything apart from Jesus. And then also, uh, as we know Scripture, uh, we think Uh, that we can't do this. If we start thinking that, we forget the power of Christ. So we abide in Christ in John 15. We abide in him, and then it says, apart from me, you can't do nothing. But the understanding of that, the opposite of that, that we have to understand, the implication here is that in Christ, we can do something. We can do things through Christ. Another passage that we have to go to that I really want us to focus on before we get into our list of do's and don'ts and this list of how we endure trials is in the book of Philippians. Uh, In the book of Philippians, uh, there is a very famous passage uh, that, to be honest with you, um, many times I tend to stay away from and maybe others do as well because this verse can be taken out of context so often. Um, You'll see it in sports uh, arenas and different places where Uh, Philippians 4.13 is taken out of context completely. And we've seen the abuse of this verse, and so some of us are actually afraid to even use this verse. But I think in context we see what Paul is saying. And let's just remind ourselves, the book of Philippians, it's a book that many have called the book of joy. And Paul is writing about how he can rejoice and have joy in remembering that he is writing from imprisonment. Being in prison, and yet he can say that he has joy that settled contentment. And we find in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, this is what Paul says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, for you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not a passage about anything and everything you want to do in life. If you just trust Jesus, you can do it. But this is very obviously, as Paul is writing, how he is able to endure trials. How is he able to have settled contentment? How is he able to find joy? How is he able to do that? He doesn't say by, uh, by strengthening himself. He doesn't say that there's a way that he can figure out how to live this life and face these trials in his own strength. He is very clear. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So why do I share this passage? Why do I talk about John 15 where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing? Well, because I think we need to understand that as we look at the book of James... As we look at this book, we, in a very real way, we can obey the commands that we are called to obey in the book of James only through the strength and the power of Christ. Well, but how does this really work? How does it really work? How is it the power of Christ can help us to do this? Well, it's simple. Because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. Now, many times when we preach sermons, when we talk about these things, we get to the end of our sermon and we say, we need to remember the gospel. And I think that's a great way to do it. But I think today I want us to remember the gospel before we get to the commands that we're going to be looking at. Because if we really can obey these commands based on the power of Christ, then we need to know the gospel. We need to know Jesus. We need to know his power, what he's done through us and for us. 
You see, Jesus was the promised Messiah that fulfilled the law, that fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament, that would, that would take away the, the power of sin and death. Jesus is that Messiah. He came as a baby, and then he lived a perfect life, the mature, perfect life that none of us have any hope of living. He did that on our behalf. He lived the perfect life that we can't live. And then he died a death on the cross for our sin to pay the punishment, to pay the penalty that we couldn't pay. Because of our imperfection, we couldn't uh, pay for our sins. We couldn't find forgiveness. We couldn't be with God. The Bible is very clear about this. So he lived a life we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. He did all of this and gave himself, God himself, coming in the flesh on the earth to live this life, to die this death, and then he rose again from the grave. He rose again. He, he defeated sin. He defeated death. And in doing that, he showed that God had power over sin, over death, over hell. God had power over the power of sin that it holds in our lives and in our hearts. We no longer have to be slaves of sin, but we can follow Jesus by his life, his death, his resurrection. We can look forward to his coming again. We can look forward to that as well. That's part of this whole process. Not only did he come and die and rise again, but he's coming again to make all things right, and we find our hope in that. This is the gospel, and then what we're told is how do we respond to that gospel Well, we respond, and we're told that for those who turn from themselves, who repent, who turn from themselves and turn to Jesus in faith, if we will turn away from our way of living and turn towards him by trusting in him completely, that if we do that, not only will we have eternal life to spend forever with him in eternity, but we also have the power right now to live new lives to live a new life because Jesus rose again and he said that he had power over sin and death and hell and now we can have power over our lives, new life. We can have new life only through Jesus. We can't find this new life in ourselves. We can't find the power in ourselves. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his love every single day. But Jesus came to live that life, die that death, rise again and wait for us in heaven so that we can respond in faith, receive the grace that he's given us, and that we can follow him with our lives. And when we do that, he says that we have the strength to be able to follow him, not because we're strong, but because he's strong. Not because we're good, but because he is good. Not because we deserve anything, but because he's given us everything. So that's what we need to understand before we even continue on in the book of James. Because I believe that there is a reason that the, book, the Bible gives us commands to follow. I believe that James gives us a reason for following commands and how to endure our trials. And we can do that as we look to Christ, as we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one we can trust with our lives. And if we look to him, then I believe that we can have victory. We can do what we're called to do only through his strength, only by putting ourselves in his hands, but it can be done. If we say that we can't obey God, you know, going back to the question, can we obey these commands? If we say that we can't, then actually we're not putting, we're not doubting ourselves, but in a sense, we're really doubting the power of God because he's told us that he's died for us and he's paid for our sins and that we can live a new life in his strength. And so we can do that. And if we forget that, then we are forgetting the power of God. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that we're going to live perfect lives as soon as we come to know Jesus. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We still sin. We still make mistakes. We still walk away from God at times when we shouldn't. Our sinful desires are still within us. And James is even going to mention that in the book, that we have sinful desires that are always raging up within us. And I'm not saying that we're going to reach perfection, but I am saying that we can't live in a state of thinking that we don't have any hope because we do have hope in Jesus. We have hope that we can endure trials, that we can get through this faithfully because of him. Now, in all what I just said, that is the base that we need to understand as we go into the rest of the book of James. 
as we look at all the commands, the do's and the don'ts, we don't try to do them in our own strength. We don't try to stay away from the things we shouldn't do in our own strength, but we run to Jesus and we ask him for help. That is the way that we can endure trials. But I just want to say this real quickly before we get in there as well. Throughout the book of James, James is going to be very clear that if we are not enduring trials in the way that he tells us we should be, that we need to strongly consider whether or not we truly believe in Jesus. Do we truly have faith in Jesus? Because that'll come out during our trials. And if if we're not doing the things that he has asked us to do, and if we're doing the things that we shouldn't be doing, we need to each and every one of us ask the question, do I really believe in Jesus? In the trials of life, do we really believe in Jesus? Are we really put our hopes and our dreams and everything in him? Because if we're struggling in our trials to do that, then just maybe, and this is between you and God, but then just maybe we don't really know him the way we think we do. And that's something we need to consider as we go through the rest of this book as well. So with all that as our backdrop, we're going to move into looking at the do's and don'ts of James. Do this, not that. And uh, what you're going to see right now is a chart that is going to be showing you all that uh, we're going to be looking at today as far as the do's and don'ts of James. All right, so in this chart, we are going to be looking at each verse, uh, a section of verses throughout the rest of the book, all the way from chapter 1, verse 13, and you'll see all the way through chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Uh, and we're going to look at something that James says we should do and something that James says we shouldn't do. Now, not all of these passages have both. There's a few that just have one or the other. But we're going to look at those and we're going to go pretty quickly as we're going to breeze through the rest of this book and we're going to see how do we endure trials and this chart will help us to see what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And so join me as we just go through this very quickly in looking at the different passages. As I said earlier, we're not going to be reading each and one, each one of these passages. It takes about 20 to 25 minutes just to read the book alone. Uh, and so for time's sake, uh, we're just going to go ahead and look at it, look at the general concept of each section. I would encourage you, though, as you listen to the sermon even, read through these sections. And afterwards or beforehand or whenever you have time, read through the book of James. We encourage you from the beginning of this series to read through the whole book to see how it all fits together, how this puzzle comes together to make a beautiful picture of how we can endure trials. So we're starting in, in verse 1, chapter 13, or sorry, chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. And the first thing that we're told in this passage is that we need to thank God for his goodness. We need to do this. We need to thank God for his goodness. We're told that all good things come from above. All good gifts come from the Father, uh, the perfect Father who gives us all good things. And so we need to thank God for his goodness. That's one way that we can endure trials, even in the hard times, even when we don't feel like it, we can thank him for his goodness. On the other side, in in chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, we're told not to blame God for our sin. How easy is it for us in our trials to somehow turn the blame against God and say, God, you don't want good for me. God, you want me to sin. But we're told that's not God's fault. It's our own desires that lead us to sin. And so when we face trials, we need to thank God for his goodness, focus on his goodness, and not blame him for his perceived injustice on our life. In the next section of chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, we're told that we need to listen to the word of God. This is the classic passage uh, in chapter 19, or in verse 19, that that talks uh, about how we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we looked at the fact that we need to be quick to listen to God and not speak out. So we need to listen to the word of God, listen to what God says, but then we need to not speak or act hastily. To speak out of anger or to act out of anger because that's not what God has called us to do in our trials. That we need to listen to what he says but be very careful and very slow in what we say and how we act based on how we feel. And so if we're going to endure trials well, we need to listen to God but not speak or act in ways that we shouldn't. In chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, we're told that we need to receive the implanted word. We need to receive the gospel. We just talked a lot about the gospel. We need to receive that for ourselves, to receive the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, to believe in him, to trust in him, and to receive it is to just take it in. 
And we need to do that during trials, to remember the gospel, to preach the gospel to ourselves every day so that we remember that no matter what life brings, Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, and we can trust him. On the other end of things in this passage in verse 21 and 22, we should not live wickedly, uh, not to live in a way that is sinful and wicked. But yet so many times in trials, we're tempted to go that direction, to lash out in our anger and do things that we regret, to act wickedly. We shouldn't do this. This is not a wise and joyful and sincere way of enduring trials. In chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, we see that we need to obey the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. Not just listen, which is the side that says not that what we shouldn't do is just listen, but not act. We need to obey the Word of God, not just listen to it or know it or read it. Uh, that's good. We need to listen to it. We need to know it. We need to read it. We need to memorize it. But if it just stops there, it's just words. But James says we need to be hearers of the Word and We need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so as we look at this, what we do is we obey. What we don't do is only listen and not act. It's simple for us to do that, to say all the right things, uh, to hear all the right things, but then to do uh, what we know we shouldn't or to do things or not to do things that we should. Uh, So that's what we see there. In verses 26 and 27 of the first chapter, uh, we see this serve the helpless Serve the helpless, orphans and widows, when, they, when they're in their time of need. We need to serve the helpless. Even in our trials, we need to make sure that we are serving others and caring about others. But then we see that the other side of it, what we shouldn't do, is to fake religion and love the world. To fake religion and love the world. Now, I just talked about listening and not acting, and now I've talked about this idea of a fake religion while we love the world. We say we love God and we act like we're religious, but really we love the world and the sinful ways of the world. These are two ways that we are not living sincerely. We are living that life of a double-minded man, of a two-souled person, a two-faced person. And when we do these things, when we might act like we're religious, but we don't, but really we're dabbling in all the stuff of the world, or when we... Um, Listen to God's word, but don't act on it. These are ways that we can live in an insincere, hypocritical way. And that's not how we endure trials well. In in chapter 2, we move on to look at the verse 13 verses, verses 1 through 13. And we see that if we want to endure trials well, we need to show love and mercy to all, all people. But if we don't want to endure trials well, then what will we not do? Well, Uh, What we should not do, we should not show favoritism. If we show favoritism, then we're not obeying what God has called us to do and showing love and mercy to all. When we treat others different based on um, their standing, maybe it's social standing or financial standing or what they can do for us, you know, a lot of times that's how we show favoritism. Uh, We'll love and serve and do things for people that we know that it'll be good for us to do that. But for those who are not necessarily in our circle of people we like or those who are maybe on the outside, uh, maybe they don't quite agree with us on things, we tend to shun them or, or just maybe not even on purpose. We just tend to show favoritism towards one and, and not the other. And we're told that we need to show love and compassion to all people and not let anything be a reason to show favoritism. Moving on in chapter uh, 2, verses 14 through 26. We need to live out our faith through action. We need to live out our faith through our action. Uh, On the other side of this, what we don't do if we want to endure trials well is to declare our faith but not act on it. If you remember when Pastor Justin preached on this, he said we need to have uh, a, a faith, not just a saying faith, but a saving faith. Again, when we say that we have faith but don't back it up with how we act, we're living the life of a double minded person. And so we need to stay away from that. And the command here is very clear. The command here is that we need to not only say we have faith, but live it out. To live out what we say we believe, not just to say it. See, many of us, even during trials, we might say the right thing. Oh, I'm okay because God is good. But then behind closed doors or with other people, that's not the way we really act. We need to be very careful of that as we come into our trials. Moving on to chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. What should we do during trials? We should be careful how we speak, knowing that our words have great power and influence. 
And so therefore, we need to be very careful in how we use our words, whether it's what we say or what we type or what we post or how we even speak uh, to others in whatever way we might speak to them. That we don't speak in a way that is cursing or in a way that will bring others down, but only lift others up. So we need to be careful how we speak. And then you remember the rest of that is we should not curse people while we bless God. We bless God while we curse people. That's what James says. Those things should not be so. So in trials, we need to make sure that we watch what we say, that we watch our mouth, if you will, that we don't let our tongues curse people while blessing God. Another way to be double-minded, another way to not live sincerely, another way to not be wise, another way to not really be content is when we use our words to hurt others, to curse others. And so if we want to endure trials well, we will be careful how we speak and we won't curse others with our mouth, even those we don't agree with. Rest of chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, we looked at the idea that during a trial, we need to be meek, tame, and we need to be peaceful. Not people that are looking for a fight. But see, unfortunately, I feel like a lot of times during trials, and maybe even during this trial that we're facing now, people are so ready to fight and argue. People are so ready not to be meek, not to be peaceful, but instead, what we shouldn't do in trials is to be jealous and selfish. We need to be mild, meek, peaceful people during our trials, not covered in jealousy and worried about what everybody else thinks or is is doing, and then living in a selfish way where we're just out to get whatever we want for ourselves. See, trials can draw us to a place where we are humble before God, where we are meek before God, or it can drive us to a place where we are selfish and consumed with our own good. So we need to be careful in our trials. We need to make sure that we are enduring them faithfully by being meek and peaceful and not jealous and selfish. In chapter 4, 1 through 10, the same idea even more so comes out. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, we need to be content and humble. We need to be content. That back to the peaceful contentment. We need to be content and humble, not only before God, but before others. But if we're in trials, what we shouldn't do is we shouldn't covet and be prideful to want what others have, and to be prideful and think that we know best. Again, it goes back to this idea of fighting. It's like wisdom of this world says we need to fight for what's ours, but wisdom of God says, no, we will be peaceful, we will be meek, we will be be humble. And so during our trials, we need to pursue humility, to be humble before God, to be humble before others, not to be selfish, not to be covetous, not to be prideful, but to... Trust God, be content in what he's given us, and not to be quarrelsome, not to be angry with others, not to have envy and strife and selfish ambition. In chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, uh, not really a positive command here, but there is a negative command. It says, don't do this. Don't be judgmental towards others. It goes back to the things we've just been talking about. We need to not speak evil of one another to judge others, to judge their motives, or to feel like because they don't agree with us or they're in a different place in their life that somehow we can judge them and pass judgment. We're told that God is the only judge. We are not to judge others and to cast our, to look down on them and to cast doubt on them and to look at them and say, surely they aren't as good as me. Surely they have trouble more than I do and That is where we find ourselves cursing them and being judgmental towards them. And that is not a way to handle our trials. I'm afraid that so many times this is where we go when we are feeling uncomfortable in our trials. We will try to find someone else that we can just judge, that we can criticize, that we can make ourselves feel better by making someone else feel worse. That is never the right response to trials. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we looked at the idea that we need to trust in God's will and not trust in our own plans. That passage is a beautiful passage where God is reminding us that we don't know that we even have tomorrow, that our life is just a vapor, and so therefore we trust God's will. We follow God's will every moment, and we don't try to trust in our own plans to think that someday we'll go to this place and, or we'll make this money here but we need to trust that God is in control, trust in his hands and trust in his sovereignty and not trust in our own sovereignty that we think we have. You see, even in trials, we try to control everything. 
and in, in, in this trial, you know, maybe it started as we, we feel like we can control the trial by going out and buying a bunch of toilet paper or by buying a bunch of vitamin C or hand sanitizer or we can control this uh, by uh, isolating ourselves long enough. The truth of the matter is we still don't have control. We might think we do, but we don't have control over what happens. Only God does. We don't know what tomorrow is going to hold, but we trust him and we know that it's in his hands and we trust his sovereignty We don't try to make our own plans or control the situation ourselves. Chapter 5, we move on as we're getting close to the end of the book. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we're told that we need to be patient for the coming of Jesus. To be patient, to look to what is coming, to look eternally to Jesus coming back and how that can change our lives. We need to be patient for the coming of Jesus. But what we shouldn't do during trials is to live for temporary riches. Not like the rich who put all their hope and all their security in what they have. And James says very clearly, you need to be patient for the return of Jesus and you need to stay away from what the world says is important. You need to stay away from trusting in riches to get you through your trials. In chapter 5, verse 12, one verse, but it says that we need to be truthful before God and others. It talks about letting our yes be yes and our no be no, not to make an oath. And we're told that during our trials, we need to be honest with God and honest with others. Just be truthful in the way we speak. Be truthful in what we say to others and what we say to God. But then on the other side of things, we need to make sure we're not making empty promises. That during our trials, we're not making empty promises to God. We're not saying, God, if you'll just get me through this trial, then I will... Uh, do this for you. I'll, I'll go to Africa and I'll be a missionary for two years if you'll just get me through this trial. If you just get, through me, get me through this trial, I'll be more faithful to church. If, if you just get me through this trial, uh, I, I'll do this or that. That's making an oath and it's making empty promises. Or maybe we do that to each other and we make empty promises to one another that we can't keep. That is not how we faithfully endure trials. Instead, we are truthful before God and others. Finally, in the last part of chapter 5, in verses 13 through 18, we see this imperative, this command to pray and to call on the elders to pray and to praise God. Not only to pray and ask him for help and wisdom and deliverance and to ask him for all those things and come to him as our father and just beg him for mercy. We pray to him, but we also praise. We praise him for his goodness. We praise him for what he's doing. We are In our times of cheerfulness, we remember that that comes from God. We don't praise others or praise our government, or praise whoever when things get better. We praise God. Whether it's in the good times or the bad, we pray and we praise. But also during this time, in part of our prayer life, we confess sin. We confess sin to God and we confess sin to others. We are real with one another. As Pastor Justin so so graciously talked about last week, that we are real with one another through our trials. That we don't try to put on a fake face that we don't try to live in a way where we somehow are acting like everything's okay when we're really struggling. We need to confess our sin, confess our struggles, and then one, we can one another with each other and we can encourage one another and lift each other up. And that's what we can do as we pray and we praise and we confess with one another. And so James says, do those things during trial. And then finally, very last couple of verses in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, bring others to Jesus. Any trial brings us to a place where we need to be looking to Jesus, looking to the gospel, but also bringing others into that with us. To reach out to people who are floundering in their trials, who don't have any hope, and say, this is the hope you can have in Jesus. Whether that's someone in our church, in our body that claims to be a Christian, but maybe they're just not living the way that they should, and maybe there's some question about whether they really have faith in Jesus. We can pull them in and hold them accountable and bring them back to Jesus. Or maybe it's to the people around us that don't know Jesus at all. And we can grab them and bring them along and say, you need Jesus. Maybe right now during this trial, this COVID-19 coronavirus world that we live in, this trial that we're facing where we're quarantined and where, quite frankly, everyone is getting sick and tired of what's going on. Even during this time, are we using this trial as an opportunity to bring other people to Jesus? And we looked at this several times as we looked through the book of James. But if we act wisely, 
If we endure trials well, that'll be a testimony of Jesus Christ and his work in us. It'll be a testimony to others about how Jesus really is our savior and he really is the one we trust in. And when we show that and say that, we can bring people to Jesus. So don't use trials to run away from God or run away from others, but use trials to run to God and bring others with you. So that's our list of do's and don'ts. Do this, not that. If we can obey these things, then we will have a more healthy spiritual life. But even when we do fall, when we do fail, we can come to God and confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us, as we're told in 1 John. We're not going to live in perfection. But even when we do fall, when we do fail, we still run to Jesus. We run to Jesus for strength to follow his commands, and we run to Jesus when we can't follow his commands. We run to Jesus when we uh, are able to follow him and do these things, and we run to Jesus when we fail miserably. Jesus is there for us to run to. And so during our trials, I believe we look at the book of James and we see this whole list of commands that all gets us back to how do we endure trials faithfully? How do we have steadfastness? How do we really endure? How do we live in joy? How do we live in wisdom? And how do we live a life that is not two-faced, that is not double-minded, one that is single-mindedly focused on Jesus through our trials? We can do it through the strength and power of Jesus. Would you run to him during this trial and any other trial that you face? So with that being in mind, as we think about the whole book of James, there's so much more we could talk about. But we know that James says we can endure trials as Jesus is on our side. We can follow these things and it will be good for our spiritual health. So some questions to ask before we close our time together today and also before we close this book of James. What are some questions we can ask? First thing we looked at today is Jesus is the only way to endure trials. Jesus is the only way to endure trials. Hope in him is the only thing that we have to get through trials. Do you really know him? Do you really know him? Have you come to believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus really lived a life you couldn't live to die a death that you deserve to die so that he could rise again to show his power over sin, death, and hell so that you can have eternal life not only in the future but that you can live a new life now? That's the gospel. He died and rose again for you and me so that we can live new lives and we can trust him and we can get through our trials and endure them faithfully because of what Jesus did. And now you might be finding yourself in a trial. Maybe it's the trial that we all find ourselves in or maybe there's a specific, more intense trial that you might be going through. Run to Jesus. And if you've never done that before, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, then today is the day to come to him and just ask him, say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I haven't trusted you. I know I need you. Would you please just save me and allow me to live in your way? Allow me to live in your strength. Allow your grace to come over me. And Jesus will come. And Jesus will be with you. And he will give you eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. But you need to trust him. You need to turn away from your way of living and turn to him. If you have any more questions about that, please contact us at the church. Talk to somebody you know who believes in Jesus. They'd love to tell you. But maybe you're here today, and as we said about James, James is very clear several times throughout this passage, through this book, that if your faith is not being seen in action, if you are not obeying these things, it might mean that you really don't know Jesus. So don't just assume because you've come to church. Don't just assume because when you were a kid you said a a, a, a a prayer because you were told to so that you could become a Christian. Don't just believe in a, a one-time prayer or, or believe that because you've grown up in the church or believe that because you do good things or because you read your Bible every day that somehow that means you're automatically a Christian, that you're automatically saved, that you automatically have real faith in Jesus. Take some time to consider, especially during trial, is my faith real? Is it genuine? Do I really trust Jesus? And if, you're don't, if you don't, it's not too late to repent and turn to him. Make sure that your faith is real. Not just spoken faith. Not just something you've read. But it's something that you do and it's, some, it's someone who you are. That you have let Jesus change you from the inside, inside out. So that's something we need to consider as we think about the book of James. Do you really know Jesus who is the only way to endure trials? Then the question that I want to ask today is, are you enduring, how are you enduring this current trial? 
Are you following the commands that James brings? Or do you know that you have been falling for the double-minded way of life, the unwise way of life, the jealous way of life, the selfish way of life? Have you been falling for the lies of Satan? And if you find yourself in this trial that we find ourselves in right now, have you found yourself not being faithful? Have you found yourself not following some of these commands? It's not too late to begin to do that. To focus on Christ, to love others, to be humble, and not to live for yourself and try to get out of the trial in whatever selfish way you can, but instead to look at the trial as an opportunity for growth and to trust Christ through it. Now is the time to do that. Maybe you've had other trials that you've faced. How are you handling them? And I would say this, just consider it. Think about it. Pray about it. Ask God to show you. Are you handling this trial in a way that is faithful to Him? If not, change. If so, thank Him and praise Him for it. No matter how you feel, this is where I want to end today, and some of the devotions have reflected this both from Pastor Justin and myself. But no matter how you feel during your trial, no matter how you feel right now, you can think joyfully, you can have contentment, you can seek wisdom. And you can live sincerely no matter how you feel, no matter what your circumstances tell you. It can happen through the grace and the strength and the love of Jesus. So would you run to him during your trials? Right now, run to him during your trials. Don't run to the world. Don't run to uh, empty promises of the government or of other people or run to your own plans or run to anything, but run to Jesus in faith. We can endure trials and we can live faithfully in the face of trials. We can endure trials well if we follow the commands that God has given us to us through James in the power of Jesus. He gives us the strength to do all things. I can do all things. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Would you run to him during trials? If you don't remember anything else from the book of James, remember this. During trials, run to Jesus. Don't run away from him, but run to him. With that, let us close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this reminder today that we can run to you during trials. Help us to trust you. Help us to find hope in you and nothing else. Help us to obey you out of your strength and out of your grace and out of your mercy. God, we thank you that you have saved us, that you have died for us and given us new life through your resurrection, and that all of that, that truth of the gospel can lead us to a life in which we follow you, to a life in which we can be spiritually healthy. Help us to obey these commands, not trying to do it in our own strength, but to run to you and ask you for help in every single step of the way no matter what trial we face. We pray all this in Jesus' name today. Amen.